We are back and we are back for two chapters. Two chapters this time. Are we crazy? Well, perhaps, but it's not necessarily connected to this. We're going to do Revelation 10 and 11 today. Uh, and we're going live because I do all my own stunts anyway. Uh, all the mistakes that will be done here, coughing, gagging, whatever, falling out of the chair, those are all free. Uh, there's no added charge for that. We do ask that you subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything, and it helps us quite a bit if you um, hit the subscribe button. And we would love it if you would watch our worship on Sunday. And if you can't watch it live, that you'd watch it later and make comments about where you're from, uh, who you are, what you liked, that sort of thing. If you have um, a lot of complaints and such, then no. But the other stuff we'd love to hear. Um, let's go to work. When we tell stories, we tend to go from here to there, at least if we're a good storyteller. A lot of you are not good storytellers and you think you are, but we need to start at one point, go to the other in an orderly fashion, not as orderly as a Hallmark Channel Christmas movie that's entirely predictable or um, superhero movies that are entirely predictable. But most stories have a this, then that, then this, then that. They didn't necessarily do that in um, Jesus's day or before or even after, up to the period of even Shakespeare and beyond into the early 1900s, the melodramas. It was very, very common for the story to stop and then there to be extra stuff thrown in, a speech, an aside to the audience or a glimpse of what's happening off stage. And then eventually you come back to your story. With Shakespeare, they'd break into speeches, uh, sometimes breaking that fourth wall, turning and addressing the audience. In melodramas of the early Americas, which were brilliant, and if you ever have a chance to go to one, uh, they're generally almost, as far as I can tell, mainly in the West. You go to these little theaters and you've got the, the pretty little damsel in distress and the you know, square jawed hero, but you've also got the bad guy. And th they will turn and they will talk to the crowd while everything on the stage freezes. And I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, that's one of the reasons I love Revelation, I guess, is because we have a gap here. Uh, we have a, uh, after we've heard the sixth trumpet in uh, chapter nine, we get a break. We're not gonna to get to that last that last trumpet until we get all the way to chapter 15. This is a big break, 10 through 14. What in the world's going on? Should we just relax then? Because those trumpets were pretty nasty things. Um, can we just sit around now and eat a bologna sandwich? And no, no, it's, um, it's gonna get very interesting indeed. Let me just give you a little hint here. Re Revelation chapter 10, let's just do the first four verses for now. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which laid open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. <clears throat> well, that's clear. 
um, who, who is this mighty angel? Speculation abounds. You, um, some say it's Jesus or God himself. They never refer to themselves in those kind of terms of saying I'm an angel. Now, Jesus, I strongly believe and believe it's provable, uh, is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. But that's a whole different thing than we're dealing with here. This is not a the angel, it's an, an angel, a mighty angel, but still an angel. So it might be Michael. Um, we, we tend to think of Michael because he's the only one mentioned uh, in heaven as called an archangel. There's a myth that Gabriel is an archangel of the New Testament. He's never called, never called an archangel, only Michael. But here's something really important, all right? If God wants you to know something, and if it's very, very important for you to know something, he will tell you. So if we don't really get all of the details behind the scenes of who this angel is and what's going on, it's because we don't need to know, or he would tell us. And if you sit around and wrestle with this, you can, as we were warned in scripture, wrestle with the scripture to your own destruction. Allow the mystery, allow the big imagery, and we can walk on. Now, again, when we think of the mightiest of angels, we think of uh, Michael. But here's the thing. We don't know who else is out there. We don't know what it means to be a, a thunder or a trumpet of God. We, the living creatures. We don't know what all these things are. And they certainly, God never said, he told us everybody. So let's just say mighty angel looks mighty big and, and we can go from there, all right? The message that he brings is for here and there, now and later. That's why you have a foot on the sea and on the land. It's a worldwide message that will take some time or cover some period of time not thousands of years, but it could be months, could be a few years. When he cries out, the seven thunders cry and reply. And what the thunders are, are unknown. And, and remember the people of the day are hearing this. They are not um, running a word by word commentary with a glossary in the back and footnotes at the bottom. They don't have that kind of time. They don't have that kind of papyrus or vellum. They, these people got to eat. They got to work all day long to eat so that they can work all day long tomorrow to eat. And that's life for them. No days off, no vacations. They don't get around, go to live in a library for a while. They don't know what a library is, most likely. Books were for the super, super rich and the powerful. So, all right. We don't know what the thunders are, but it is cool to at least imagine it. At least it's cool to imagine it happening to other people. I'm not really sure I would like to have been in the room. Uh, so what are the trumpet? Uh, what are the thunders? I'll just say a lot of trees have given their life over this. A lot of a lot of trees, a lot of speculation, a lot of papers, a lot of books. And here's the thing: they don't agree with each other. You will not find a consensus. Oh, for a while, there was a consensus that this must be, the beast of Rome must be the Catholics, and the seven thunders must be the seven anathemas he issued against the, the Protestants. How in the world is that going to help people in the first century? Doesn't seem to be any help at all. Seems a bit arbitrary, frankly. There are all, there's the, the millennial type people, by millennial type people, I'm not talking about millennials all right 
this is um this is a whole different group all right i love millennials quit bashing millennials this is about millenniarians i know what it means is that there's a this cottage industry which has grown up ever since Schofield and that type of people about about the last 150 years or so that uh, keeps morphing and changing and different views of the millennium of the millennial reign of Christ whether it's pre-trib post-trib what it's just it just keeps on changing and it, they change it to fit the social and cultural climate of now but let's just let's be crazy here let's say they get it right that somebody in 2020 finally unlocks and gets all the millennial stuff and when Jesus comes and what and he finally gets it all ready what does that say about God that he wrote a book that was so obtuse it was completely useless to Christians for 2,000 years until Frank came along or Bob or Cindy I'm not not misogynistic um you know so here here Betty comes and she's got she's the one we really need to stop and think about these things or at least just stop if we're not thinking we can still stop that's an option oh well let's read on revelation 5 uh, chapter 10 rather 5 through 7 then the angel i had seen standing on the sea and on the land I love that about this but it's like you know that big terrifying thing we talked about two verses ago let me remind you i'm talking about that big terrifying thing <laughs> got it and he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them the earth and all that is in it and the sea that is all in it that is in it all right we know who that is got to be god yes jesus in john chapter one verses one through four they're not going to be upset if you say God the Father or Jesus on this one, all right? What is what? What does he swear? What is he? Sw he's swearing by Almighty God. And Jesus said to humans, "Don't do that." But this angel can, because this angel has come down with the accoutrements of uh, being around God. That whole rainbow thing and all of that. That those symbols of he's bringing a message from God. He is qualified to do this. And what is it? What's the message? There will be no more delay. Bad news. Just because Putin, Trump, Biden, and COVID all were in the mix in 2020 doesn't mean this is about us because the angel himself swearing by God says there's no more delay. 2000 years is a delay. Okay. This is about them. We can learn a great deal from this. But it's not about us. And the universe isn't about us. You know, God loves us. Yay. But it's all about God. And we need to we need to understand that in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Please note again, what's about to happen is about to happen. No delay. So let's keep it in context. Each of the passages we've been talking about to this point were about God bringing judgment upon those who persecuted believers. 
They could persecute them in the Colosseum, but far more often they were persecuted by being isolated, isolated from jobs, economic um, ability to feed the family, um, living places, um, basic human rights were taken from them. That's the way that most of them were persecuted. And that remember all the context, he's gonna hurt a third, and then he's gonna come at this. And then the last time we, in chapter nine, he started killing some of them. Well, they haven't learned. And so in chapter 10 and 11, boom, God is coming. Before, however, you go, yay, finally those persecutors are getting what they deserve. They're gonna get kicked. Let's put on a phone finger and run around yelling, we're number one. We need to deal with some realities of the universe, cause and effect, uh, action, reaction. We need to look at Revelation 10, eight through 11. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more, go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. I'm so much a child of the um, uh, 60s and 70s, university in 70s and 80s, that whenever you know, take the scroll from the hand and I see you know Cain trying to take the pebble from the hand, those of you who don't, um, Recognize the Kung Fu reference there. What sad little life she must live. Moment of prayer, silence, moving on. Take the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. Sounds odd, hang on. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, language, and kings. You got some work to do, John. You're not here. I was always told this is the Apostle John and he died on Patmos. Now this guy, whoever this guy is, Apostle John or not, he's being sent. You got a job to do. And at first it's gonna sound sweet and it's gonna turn sour. It seems to be an odd rhetorical device, but the Jews and the Christians of the day, and remember the Jews and the Christians at that time in history, a whole lot of overlap in there. Uh, they would have immediately understood what this is talking about because they knew the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter two, Ezekiel's given a book to eat. It's the only other place in scripture this happens. So we know this is what he's talking about. He's going to be prophesying against the Babylonians and the captivity and that uh, the people of Israel will return once they repent. And God warns him, when you get this message, it's going to seem really, really sweet. But the longer you live with it, it's going to turn pretty sour. What does that mean? It means you're going to be cheering until the consequences hit home. Rome was going to fall just like Babylonian captivity was going to end and the people would return. But that fall of Rome is also going to bring hardship, pain. All of the advances that they had brought, and they had brought many to architecture, roads, uh, water systems, sewer systems, all of that's gone away. All of that's gone down. Now, that's mainly true in the Middle East, Europe, and of course, the rest of the world. We don't know what was going on much there unless you're a historian you know, of a particular African area or Asian area or, or even the North American, South American continent. We don't, we don't know much. 
it's up to what archaeologists and historians can tell us. This is talking about this particular area. And when Rome fell, it took a lot of good stuff too. So at first you're thinking, yeah, those bad guys got what coming to them. Think, think about this for a moment. Whatever political party you like, assuming you like one of them, that's a big assumption, but let's just go with that. What if God says, you know, I've heard your prayers. I'm going to remove every single one of those other ones, just your party. That would be terrible news. At first you might be going, yay, but then power left unchecked is never a good idea. And so is a power vacuum. If some sort of EMP you know, were to be um, actually detonated, which we've been warning about now for well over 20 years, and it shuts down every electrical system in the US and it takes years to bring it back up, you might first think, yeah, those guys in Washington got it. They got what was coming to them. Uh-oh, my car doesn't work because it had it runs off computer and can't find gasoline to power. And I we don't our lights don't work. The water doesn't come through the tap. And where am I going to get my medicine? You see what I mean? At first, it's going to go, the Christians are going to think, yes, those people are getting what's coming to them but there will be consequences. This is why it is always a good idea to listen to God when he says, leave the vengeance to me. I will repay. We shouldn't be rejoicing in the fall of anybody anytime. Well, now we come to Revelation 11, which is, I must say, an exceptionally weird chapter. Are you sitting comfortably? That's what they used to do in the British uh, wireless, the radios. Uh, before they would start a story, they'd get everybody, you know, everybody get together. If it's a family story or the kid's story, or all sitting there staring at the radio, because you have to watch the radio. They say, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Well, are you sitting comfortably? Eh, you won't be for long. Here we go, Revelation 11. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months and I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Well, I, I think that's rather plain. Um, very obvious what this means. We can we can just press on now, can't we? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Here's here's the big issue. I don't know of any writer who does not agree that chapter eleven is perhaps the hardest chapter in this book to interpret because we have problems. Are we going to take everything in here literal? 
olive trees, 1260, everything literal? Or are we going to take everything here as, as a symbol, just symbols, nothing literal? Or are we going to mix and say this is literal and this is symbolic? There's the thing. Whatever you decide, prepare yourself for battle because there are going to be people coming after you, a lot of people ready to say, no, this is how it is. This is a difficult book. Let's ease our way through this the best we can. All right. I'm not going to list all the controversies. Why? Why would you do that? Instead, let's just find some big mainstream ideas. All right. First of all, measuring the temple, the altar and the worshipers. That's a literary concept that the hearers would have understood completely because once again, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 42, he was told to measure and told what not to measure. Don't measure the outer court. Um, what's going on here? Well, the concept is this. I'm, I'm not going to tell you all the whys and wherefores, all right? Let's just, we're friends. We're friends. Um, who can you count on? Who can you count on, John? Early church, you got to know, who can you count on? Let's do some measuring. Not everybody that comes to church is a Christian. So we got to measure correctly. And those that only come when it suits them, let's not measure them. Or those who attend every single service, but are not in their heart loving toward their neighbors and good to those that God wants taken care of, let's not measure them. We need to do some serious measuring here. Now, not you and I. The angel was telling John what they're going to be up against and that they need to know their core, the core faithful that will stay faithful regardless. That is an immensely difficult job. And so it can only be done here because of the miraculous help of God. You and I don't have this, but we can do some things. For example, um, we've had two weeks to flatten the curve now for nine months and COVID's still with us and many churches are shut. Our church, our safe harbor, is a virtual church. It has a few in-person events, but we have members now all over the U.S. and Canada and Australia. And I have the feeling we've got others that just haven't checked in yet. <coughs> Excuse me. And by the way, just send a, if you want to be a member, um, just send an email to info at OurSafeHarbor.com, info at OurSafeHarbor.com. You don't have to leave your church to be a member of our church. We're a virtual church. Okay, that's it. How are we going to measure our core? Well, we, we can look to see who checks in a lot. Who comes to in-person when they can and it's available because we have limited space, right? That one's, that one, let's not work with too much for that. Um, who's, who gives, whether it's a dollar or $10,000? Who gives? Who, who sacrifices, you know, two mites or whatever? That's, that's kind of important. Who volunteers to serve others? Uh, let's say we've got a couple of um, houses that watch us in St. Louis. And we have a person in St. Louis that needs some help. Can I count on these people? Well, in your own church, it could be that way. You know, who comes when there's a Bible class? 
who comes when there's a volunteer day to feed the poor? Measure. Who's your core? Who can you count on? And sadly, that number is always going to be a whole lot less than the numbers in your directory. Um, so that's why you have to measure. You need to know your core. Why do you need to know this? Because more is coming after uh, starting at verse 7, Revelation 11, starting at verse 7. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss, and it's probably not a good thing, will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of that great city, which is figuratively called, well, that's helpful. It is really helpful when you slip in the figuratively, Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So we know they're talking about Jerusalem, which is the stand-in city for believers in God. All right. So it's not just Jerusalem. It's the believers, the center of the believers, the core. Uh, for three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Well, it would do, wouldn't it? Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on at that very hour. There was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. Um, let's back up and run at this, shall we? First of all, God, after the measuring, God's coming down hard. He's coming down hard on the persecutors. All those other chapters, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Okay, I'm coming. And he comes right at them. It's terrifying to think of it. He comes down hard on earth and a holy city will be trampled for 42 months or 1260 days. You can go nuts trying to make these things fit actual events. By the way, I've heard preachers do it. And they state with absolute authority. I've also heard rabbis and modern day so-called rabbis say, this is it. It started here, it ended there. And it didn't. They're using their own calendar. Their math is wrong. Some friends and, and I were in Mexico and we toured some, some old you know, Mayan or Aztec ruins. And the guy kept talking about this special number. It was this and this, and that makes this. And then over here, it's this, this, and that makes that. Well, I was blessed to be with very good friends and the man uh, there is an engineer and he kept looking at me and he goes, that doesn't add up to that. And I went, I know. The guide giving us all this excited commentary for a couple of hours had his basic math wrong. And we're just looking at each other going, recently there was a huge event and I don't know when you're watching this, but recently, 2020, there was a huge prayer event where the speakers kept saying, <clears throat> this is the anniversary of the, uh, you know, the, the pilgrims landing and such. And everybody's, yay. And it wasn't. 
no, using the wrong calendar. By the way, he's been corrected before, but people don't do the research. They, um, I don't know why. Uh, research is fun, but they don't do it. Anyway, you can go nuts trying to figure out what 42 months is, or you can remember that seven is kind of the hero number in Revelation, Daniel, Zechariah, Ezekiel, seven in the Jewish vocabulary and their genre and their culture. It's the hero number. It means perfect, complete, divine. So what's three and a half? It means what's happening to you will be horrible, but it won't be forever. It will end. That's kind of nice to know. By the way, it's good to see my friends in New Jersey and Kentucky on the list here. And I know it's a long lesson today because we're doing two chapters, but believe it or not, we're, we're most of the way through. Um, what, what horrible thing is going to happen? Uh, we'll, we'll find out more about that, but it won't last forever. Where is it going to happen? Well, the holy city. It's going to be Jerusalem, the city of God. Well, who are the witnesses then? Who are the witnesses that die and all the other? Well, it's very hard to get a majority buy-in on this, but I tend to sit back and ask, when the people heard this, the different literary allusions, the different word choices used, who would they have thought of? And it's it just kind of goes, it's almost a duh moment. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Well, why? Well, look and see what they did. Water turned to blood, calling down fire, stopping rain, whatever. Um, three and a half years, that, that's even factored into the Elijah story about how he prayed that it wouldn't rain for that period of time. They would have thought of Moses and Elijah. Now, why? Because the law and the prophets had been the witness of God forever and ever and ever, and the people had refused to listen to them. So now the judgment of God is going to come down and it's going to be pretty terrible. Remember the transfiguration? Well, that's a word you only know if you go to church a lot. It's when uh, Jesus is praying, he's got his three best buds with him. And all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear up in the sky and the, um, to his uh, Peter, James and John. I mean, this is their entire Marvel Comics universe. They're so excited. They wanna set up um, tents, some people say altars, it's a booth, it's, they wanna honor these guys and equal Jesus with them. We're gonna set one for you and for them. And a lot of people think, well, oh, no, 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 that's, that's, that's demoting Jesus. They didn't know that. They thought they were elevating Jesus because Moses and Elijah were their two big superheroes and are saying Jesus is right there. They didn't know he was higher until God interrupted the party and said, this is my son, you listen to him. That's a pivotal scene and it has a lot of ramifications. When we get confused about law and prophets, we need to listen to Jesus. When we get confused about Paul or Peter, we need to listen to Jesus. Doesn't mean that God isn't speaking through the law and the prophets or Paul or Peter. Don't, you don't have to be zero or 10. There's a lot of room in here. Always go back and look at Jesus. Well, please remember um, Moses and Elijah were also considered forerunners of Jesus. John the Baptist was considered to be the Elijah for Jesus, the forerunner for Christ. There is um, Matthew's take on the birth story of Jesus. Have a look at that and then the birth story of Moses. 
he parallels them. And so that's done on purpose to show how God is working. And he worked in Moses's life and now he's working in Jesus's life at the birth the same way. In summary, we can't be dogmatic here, but we can say that people have been warned enough times in the past and right up to that present moment that to, until the day calamity came upon them. We all know not to text when we drive. When will we stop? Generally, when we kill ourselves or somebody else. We all know that it's stupid to sell cold beer in the shops when people got to go buy it and drive it home. Um, and we say we have a drunk driving problem. If you don't believe that, if, if, you, if you think all drunk driving is stupid and should end, got to ask a question. Why do we let bars have parking lots? You see, we're stupid. And we do evil right up to the point where calamity comes upon us. They knew better. The prophets had prophesied. The law was right there for them to see. And these prophets, however, would be killed in a place called Sodom and Egypt, where Christ was crucified. So now we know it's Jerusalem, that city that stands in for all the believers. By the way, um, check this out. I'm not even going to tell you where it is right now. If you've been following today's lesson, you got a good idea what book to go to. The sin of Sodom was their mistreatment of the traveling and the poor. So many people go, oh, no, it had to be, had to be homosexuality. And it was a treatment of the poor, the traveling, the powerless. It's they did the opposite of the people being saved in Matthew 25. When Jesus goes, hey, you fed people, you clothed people, you visited them in prison, you took care of them when you're sick. Come on in, guys. He never, he never once, the guy that's going to run Judgment Day, never once when he describes it, talks about doctrine, what you believe. In fact, isn't it really weird that we think God, that it's more important to God what we think about him than how we live for him? How bizarre is that? Anyway, these are the opposite kind of people. In Egypt, no hospitality. They turn the wanderers into Jews. Sodom, no hospitality. They turned the powerless, turned on the powerless, and we're going to destroy them. The methodology is not the point. It is that they were going to destroy them. They did not open up their homes and hearts. When we ignore the poor, when we ignore those who need love, when we ignore the forgotten and the passed by, and when we approve of or even engage in injustice or we acquiesce, and the mistreatment of the powerless, we are Sodom, we are Egypt. Those who won the first round, by the way, against the law and the prophets would be celebrating and exchanging gifts thinking, hey, you know, we took a big hard hit, but look what we did. We killed those Christians. They were unaware that God had already made a decision in heaven and God had already decided who was gonna win the battle. And what he said happened. Within a couple of centuries, Christianity would be moved permanently, because it kind of moved in and out, but permanently into the accepted and legal religion of the Roman Empire, slot. And very shortly thereafter, the official religion of the Roman Empire. We could argue about whether Constantine was good or not for the church, but that's, that's an argument and not a look at Revelation. I would just do this, um, we'll close this out by looking at the last several verses, starting at verse 15 in Revelation 11. 
The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And see, God's made a decision. We can run around saying we're number one all you want. God's made his decision. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant that had been seen for a long time. It disappears early on, actually, in the history of the Jews. And there came flashes and lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, an earthquake and a great hailstorm. That always means when you get this, the movement of God preceded by the cherubim and the seraphim. Every single time there is earthquake and thunder and fire and lightning and smoke and the shaking of the earth. What's about to happen? And that's next week. It's a good chapter. Revelation 12 is a good chapter, especially if you're watching this somewhere around the time it was recorded, because we are in Advent. It is early December. Chapter 12 is a good chapter for that. Remember, get in touch with us at info at rsafeharbor.com or leave comments here. Please subscribe. Uh, encourage your friends to subscribe. And let's do some measurement during the time of COVID. Let's find out who the true believers are and how connected they will be, even when moving to different cities is not really wise, or gathering is not really wise. No matter where, what you think about COVID, this is the time for us to rethink how we go into all the world. And since missionaries are fantastic people, I grew up as one, um, they're not able to get in everywhere. But this thing is. Let's, let's start measuring and seeing what God wants us to do, what he wants us to be, and what church is going to look like when we come out the back end of whatever this thing has been. And there's a picture I'm going to leave you with. God bless. Cheery bye. We'll see you next week.